<laughs> um, anyway, I'm just asking the question of the folks here. Well, how did you come to faith? Or what is the traditional way people become believers? Like what, what happens? And I think the, 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 what, the point I'm trying to make here is that someone tells them. Even though, even growing up in the church, I was told this stuff by people I was around, by my, my parents, by the preacher, by the other members. I heard it. I read it. So it didn't come to me in a vacuum, right? So the traditional way a non-believer becomes a believer, I think we could agree, is that it is brought to them. Someone brings this to them, says, speaks it to them, tells them about their Lord and Messiah and their Savior, gives them a Bible or they read it for themselves, but then they have questions, things like that. So that's a traditional way in which people come to faith in Yeshua and Jesus. Okay. That way, too, uh, somebody had given uh, my husband's brother a tract. And it was through a tract that right. the whole family came yeah. to the Lord. Tracts, literature, things like this. This, this is uh, man's uh, attempt to spread the word, spread the good news. Right? Okay. This is important, especially for this chapter, because this is where... Paul, or Saul, has this revelation. He is, he comes to faith in Yeshua. But he doesn't do it in the traditional way. Okay? All right, so that, that is, I want to lay that foundation there for, for discussion we'll have. Um, so keep that in mind. So let's go through, let's review the last uh, teaching we did um, in... Uh, Acts chapter 8. So we, we learned about, we talked about Saul's family background, that he is a Benjamite Jew, likely from the town of uh, Giskala. His family, his either father or grandfather, is likely taken by the Romans as slaves to Tarsus, which is a, a, a center of textiles. Um, so the fact that they are in Tarsus tells you something, that they're Jews in Tarsus, uh, that they were taken there. And this is also affirmed by the fact that, that Paul or Saul is a Roman citizen. What we know from that is that laws of emancipation in the day were that if you were in a, a Roman settlement and you were emancipated from slavery, you were given Roman citizenship. So he wasn't... He has Roman citizenship, Roman citizenship by birthright, but he inherited it from his father and grandfather. So either his father or his grandfather were emancipated slaves. Okay. Um, then after that, he he was uh, was he? I don't think he, he was born in Tarsus, but then he moved. He and his family moved to Jerusalem, where he could have a proper Torah education, even though Tarsus was a center of education. It was a very um, well-respected place of learning. Okay, so that, that's some background. And we're going to touch on some of that again here in a minute. We also talked about Saul's unintended good outcome of what he did. Something was born in the moment of him wanting to hunt down Jews. Okay. Uh, it was a painful experience. Many died and suffered anguish, but Saul's intense hunt 
induced labor and the spread of the message of Yeshua began here in, 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 in Acts 8. Moment, the, the momentum began going from zero to one, which I've talked about how going from zero to one is the hardest thing to do when trying to build momentum. Going from a standstill to movement is the hardest thing. And he, he, he was able to accomplish that, or God accomplished it through Saul. Um, it was a tragic span of time, uh, was for the kingdom, though, a remarkable birth. And all things considered, it was good. Then we also talked about the magician and the eunuch, and that these two men, both Jews, both Jews, represent two halves uh, of how we engage with God and his word. One is through the head, the other through the heart. One was rejected, and the other one was taught, and the, who, which was the eunuch, and he ended up going, to, going back to Ethiopia and becoming uh, traditionally the father of the Christian church in that area of the world. Okay, so that's review of the last teaching. Let's go ahead and jump into 9. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts 9. And I'm going to go ahead and, and read through this, adding a little bit of commentary uh, here and there. Uh, and then uh, at the end, we'll talk about uh, the main takeaway from this this week. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, which was at the time was Caiaphas, a Sadducee and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, so stop right there. Saul had made a vow, or not a vow, had made a move basically against his mentor and his uh, um, identity, Gamaliel and being a Pharisee. He had made a move against that to hunt down Yeshua followers. The main thing the Sadducees had against the Yeshua followers was that the Yeshua followers were preaching something that strengthened the position of the Pharisees, which was resurrection of the dead. That's why the Sadducees wanted the Yeshua followers to go away, not because the Yeshua followers had a, that they didn't perceive a threat to, to much else beyond their grasp of power in Israel. And Saul, who was a Pharisee and a student of Gamaliel, he jumped ship, switched party, jumped party lines, and said, I will help you, because basically he had this, this hatred, this baseless hatred of, of, of the people, of, of Yeshua followers. Here also in this verse, in verse 2, we have the Messianic community giving, having its first name. We see it as a name of the way, um, uh, Haderech, the way. That's what they're called. Moving on, verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So, Saul doesn't yet know what his commission is going to be at this point. He is introduced to Yeshua, and a change occurs. Now, this is traditionally considered uh, the passage where uh, Saul converts to Christianity, right? But that's really not what's going on. 
Um, so at this point, he is shocked into obedience, and he doesn't yet know what his mission is, but he knows he's just supposed to go to Damascus. Uh, and he won't know his commission until many years later, actually. It'll be years before he is given his task, his ministry. And in the meantime, he will, as verse 22 states, increase in all the more in strength uh, as his is most likely, as he is likely, most likely mentored by Ananias in Damascus. So he goes to Damascus uh, and to begin, and he begins to proclaim Yeshua in the synagogues, building his own following of disciples. So we know he ends up going to the Gentiles, but he goes to Damascus, he's in the synagogues, he gets disciples, Jewish disciples, to come to him. So he's still operating within the Messianic community and uh, the Jewish people. Verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Okay. Now we, now we uh, see a little scene in, in Damascus of God talking to Ananias. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Uh, But Ananias answered, are you serious, Lord? (laughs) Uh, You know who this guy is, right? (laughs) This is the guy who has been imprisoning, persecuting, uh, killing the people of the way. Like, uh, okay. He says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. So this is Ananias reminding God, um, your people are being hurt by this man. Are you sure? And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Like, Ananias thinks he's helping out God. Like, hmm, maybe maybe this is, are you sure it was the Saul of Tarsus or the Saul of uh, Caesarea? Whatever. Um, But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias said, okay, all right, your will be done. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Yeshua, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. In this episode, we see two men, Saul and Ananias, going against their better judgment to follow God's instructions. Right? 
Saul, who is a prodigy in Torah understanding and study. He is on the fast track to being a rock star sage. Okay? He also has a mean streak. He has, an, he has anger issues, maybe. And yet, when he knows it is the Lord and that the Lord has other ideas for what it is he is to do, he will change course. Okay? Ananias, also a well-respected teacher and leader of the community in Damascus, is told by God something crazy to do. And what does he do? He does it with some hesitation, but both of these men who are going in opposite directions are repositioned by God to now come together. So these are two examples of men going against what their own understanding. Okay. Saul must discard his persecuting ways and enter the enemy camp. And Ananias must put down his guard and let the enemy in. Okay. So they're both they're both I'm sure they're both apprehensive about this, right? They're they're having to trust completely on God and not at all on their own understanding. Moving on. Verse uh, the last verse of of 19, the last part of verse 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Now, some days actually equates to a few years. So it's not just a, you know, it's not just a week or so. It's it's a long time that that uh, Saul was in Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Yeshua in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. Again, here, we know his eventual goal or his eventual commission will be to the Gentiles, but he goes right into the synagogues and he's, he is proclaiming Yeshua. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? This is the voice of people who aren't, who aren't believers in Yeshua in the synagogues, right? These are people who are listening, who are hearing, right? And, and they're, they're not uh, necessarily enraged by this. They know who he is. I'm sure he has a, a reputation, a following. Um, and so they're questioning this. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Yeshua was the Messiah. So Saul was in Damascus for three years, not just some days. He was in Damascus long enough to build a following of disciples, still not knowing what God has in store for him or what what the, the direction is. Ananias knows. In the vision that Ananias had, the Lord said to Ananias, "This I have something for him special. But Ananias was not the one to reveal that to Saul. Saul had to wait. Saul had to wait to find out what the commission was. And this was, this was on purpose. These formative years, likely under the mentorship of Ananias, was a time needed for Saul to be one with the message of Yeshua's Messiahship. 
Saul did not, as, as it says in Galatians, in his letter to the Galatians, he did not consult with anyone, nor did he go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before him during these three years, right? He was on the way to Damascus. The Lord appeared to him in a vision, told him to go here. He went. He's, he's, he's believing that Yeshua is, is the Son of God, is the Messiah. He's there. He didn't go to Jerusalem right away. He didn't seek counsel. He was... His own, he was his own counsel at this time, basically. He, he was mentored, he was discipled by the people in the Messianic community there in Damascus, but he was wrestling with this, right? He, was, he, had, he had gained so many skills of how to study the word, how to, um, how to just dive in and immerse himself in, in all that there was to know so he could make sense of this. That's how we know that he was proving it. He proved that Yeshua was the Messiah. He was that good. He could prove it. Verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples, again, he was there long enough to establish a following of disciples, took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. All right. Now, now... After three years in the, the north, in Damascus and Arabia, in this area, now he goes to Jerusalem. Verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So even after three years, you know, even after some time had passed, and there was no killing or, and no uh, imprisonment or persecution in that time, they were still apprehensive. Um, in guarding their community from this man. So his first attempt to join the Messianic community was not was met with rejection. It, it didn't go as well as he had hoped. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the, how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Yeshua. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Here we see he's back at the synagogue of the freedmen, back at the place where he was uh, an integral part of their community. This was kind of uh, ground zero for Saul. This is where he, was, he became acquainted with Stephen, who was also a member of the synagogue of the freedmen. Um, and where his hatred for Yeshua followers likely began. This was, this, he was, you know, I, I picture Saul as, as this like extreme intellect who just has um, anger issues. Like he's, maybe he's a very disagreeable type of person. He's, he's, he's not, he's blunt, you know, he's like not, he's not a, he's not a kind, sweet man, right? He just, he knows what he knows. And if, you, and if you don't agree with him, he's got a problem with you, and he'll call you out. And he does call out uh, some of the apostles later on. I mean, like, he's just, he's, he's in your face, right? So going back to the, the synagogue of the freedmen, to, for him and that temperament and personality was no big thing. He's like, oh, well, they're wrong now, or whatever it was. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he goes back there, and he's, he's arguing with them, debating them. And they now want to kill him. Verse 30, and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So they wanted to, after he had been among them and they recognized that he was an ally, they were 
wanting to protect him. Uh, I'm sure Ananias probably told them that this Saul is, he is an instrument of God. He is needed. So they help him and they send him off. So Saul was in Tarsus for eight years awaiting God's instruction to him. Still did not, still did not know. While in Tarsus, or wait, actually no, that's not true. He, he did know, but we, it's, not, um, it's not recorded here in Acts that he was given his commission. So while he was in Jerusalem, while he was in Jerusalem, um, we'll see in, where is it? In Acts 22, jumping ahead to Acts 22, verses 17 to 21, uh, this is his. This is what happened to him while he was in Jerusalem. He said, "It happened that I, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, and I saw him saying to me, "Hurry, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your witness about me." And I said, "Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I was imprisoning and beating those trusting in you. Even when the blood of your witness Stephen was spilled, I too was standing by and approving and guarding the clothing of those who were killing him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So when he returns to Jerusalem here, and Luke does not, does not uh, recount this or, or document this here at the end of 9, but he does find out what his commission is once he's there. So he knows his commission is to the Gentiles. He is sent down to Caesarea, where he gets on a boat and goes to, off to Tarsus, which is in the north uh, and uh, almost into, into Turkey there. Saul would be in Tarsus for eight years. While in Tarsus, he was searching, likely searching the scriptures to reconcile what he had known with the revelation he received on the road to Damascus and the commission he was given to the Gentiles. Ready? Remember, this is, this is a guy who's like, he is a uh, prodigy. He is a master of study. He studied under Gamaliel. That he was in the court there when Stephen was being stoned, he had special privileges of being allowed to sit in some of these rulings by the Sanhedrin. Okay, so this, he is, he's well known. He's, he's really good at what he does. And so these eight years are really important for him to, to be focused on the goal in preparing himself. Okay. Finally, in verse 31, so the congregation throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Right. Okay. So there was no persecution at this point because Saul, even after the three years, there was still some hesitation because things didn't move very quickly in, in the world, really, that long ago. Things took time. Right, you know, buildings and large structures took uh, decades sometimes to build. So what we're used to is is a speed and efficiency that just didn't exist back then. So even though three years had passed with not a peep from Saul, when he returned to Jerusalem, they were still apprehensive and cautious around him. But then when it was like, oh, okay, he's not a threat. He's on our side. Yay. Okay. Now he's off in Tarsus. Freedom, peace, good. We can multiply. There's, there's not, uh, you know, the Sanhedrin has no other um, attack dog to send our way, right? So it's like, okay, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they're always going to be locked up in their battle against each other. We're fine. We're, we're still on the periphery of the, of the leadership. 
and we can grow. And so they did. Okay, that's where we're, that's where we're going to stop in the text. But here's what I want to talk about now. Saul was a specific instrument for a specific commission. Okay? Saul is a bit of an outsider to begin with, right? Would you say? Even though he's a Jew, he was born in Tarsus. He was born in, in, a, Ro- in a Roman territory uh, to Benjamite Jews, former slaves. So Tarsus, born in Tarsus, not born in the land. The, the child of slaves or former slaves. Uh, he is a Roman citizen by birthright. Okay. Uh, and so he's, he's already kind of an outsider. Um, and I would say that when he, he was probably 10 or 15 in that age range when his family moved to Jerusalem for him to, to be a part of uh, the yeshiva or the school under Gamaliel. And I imagine with his temperament and personality, he really had to prove himself, right? He was not born in Jerusalem. He was an outsider. All these things, right? Some things working against him, but his personality, his, his tenacity, his disagreeableness, maybe even aggressive nature made, made it possible for him to, to flourish. In his late 20s, just going on with his uh, um, timeline, in his late 20s, he becomes a Pharisee. He's present at the stoning of Stephen, uh, and he hunts Yeshua followers, persecuting the Messianic community in his, in his 20s, late 20s. At the end of his 20s and around the time of 29 or 30, this is all approximate, uh, Yeshua is revealed to him directly. In his 30s then, he spends years in Arabia and Damascus. Damascus is in Arabia, but that's just like the northeast area up there. He's likely spending time searching the scriptures and the prophets. He mentions the prophets in another of his epistles. He travels to Jerusalem where he meets Peter and James. God reveals his commission to the Gentiles to Saul. He goes to Tarsus for many years before beginning his mission work to the Gentiles. And not until his early early 40s is he discipled by Barnabas and beginning his mission work to the Gentiles in earnest. So his late 20s, Yeshua reveals himself, but not until his 40s does he actually go and do the work. Okay, so something interesting. But all that to say that he was an outsider to begin with. I think God wanted an outsider, an outsider Jewish prodigy to reach the Gentiles with the good news about the Jewish Messiah. And the way in which Saul came to belief in Yeshua was not traditional. We talked earlier about what is a traditional way that people come to faith in Yeshua? By someone telling them about him. That, I believe, is what Paul refers to later on in his epistles as man's gospel. Man's gospel is my good news to you about Yeshua. That is my gospel. Your gospel is your good news about Yeshua to others. Saul did not have that experience. 
Saul was not witnessed to. He was not preached to. Um, he had, uh, there was no one that argued or debated with Paul about this. Um, he did not come to this conclusion after reading through the Tanakh. I mean, not at all. Like, he was completely outside. This whole thing about Yeshua was, was foreign, was something other, and didn't belong. It took a direct revelation from Yeshua to convince him to believe. And this is what he refers to uh, as the revelation of the mystery. This mystery. Um, we've, I think Grant has talked about this before. What do you remember about what the mystery is, revelation of the mystery? That's right. Right. The revelation of the mystery, the mystery, and that's from, uh, I didn't write it down. Oh, here it is, in Romans 16, 25 and 27. He says here, okay, Romans 16, 25 and 27. Now to the one who is able to strengthen you according to my good news, Paul calls it my good news, my good news about Yeshua, and the proclamation of Yeshua the Messiah according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages but now is revealed and through the writings of the prophets, because that's what he was doing. He was spending time in the writings and the prophets figuring this out has been made known to all the nations according to the commandment of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith to the only wise God through Yeshua the Messiah. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The mystery is that the Gentiles are now part of this too. Now, the apostolic community had had included um, talk about the Gentiles Right? Um, They had included talk about the Gentiles, but they expected that once Gentiles received the gospel about the king of the Jews, they would what? They would become Jewish. Right? The mystery is what Paul's gospel is, and that is that uh, it was not just good news for Israel, but all humanity. Gentiles can inherit eternal life, the resurrection of the dead, uh, the kingdom of heaven, and stand among Israel without becoming Jewish. This was radical teaching amongst the believing Jews, right? And so this is why it took this individual, this man who was already an outsider, but was a like a surgeon. He was... He, the Torah and the Tanakh in his hand was an amazing thing to see. He knew it very well. He was an outsider, so he was best suited as a Jewish man, as a Jewish Torah-observant uh, sage to take this to the Gentiles. It had to be Saul. Okay. <clears throat> If we read, let's, I'm going to read from, uh, let's go through, I want to read through Galatians 1, 11 to 24. And this will probably open up a, a can <laughs> of, of discussion 
um, that, that we can uh, do some other time. But um, this is him talking. This is him talking about this this time too, like this time in his life, right? Galatians one chapter verse one verse chapter one verses eleven to twenty four. Galatians 1, verse 11, starting in 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to by me is not man's gospel. Again, it was not something that he was told. It wasn't something that he came to by just studying the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. It was not man's gospel. Not, not that the Tanakh is man's gospel, but what I'm saying is no one came to him and ministered to him, witnessed to him. Man's gospel, again, is anything a man or woman could say to a non-believer about Yeshua's deeds, words, death, resurrection, ascension, messianic claims, and eventual return. Man's gospel basically equals evangelism and or instruction. That's what man's gospel is. It's not a false gospel. It's just the, the, the method by which someone hears the gospel. Verse 12, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Yeshua Messiah on the road to Damascus, right? For you have heard of my former life in traditional Judaism. Here is a passage that has launched a thousand ships into the abyss. <laughs> my former life in Judaism, my former life in traditional Judaism, how I persecuted the congregation of God violently and tried to destroy it. Now, what we don't want to do here is make a false equivalency in saying that a life in Judaism leads to persecuting the congregation of God violently and trying to destroy it. That's not what, that's not what he's saying here. Um, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of the fathers. I want you to note that at no point does he ever give evidence or say words that he dropped any of the traditions of the fathers. He did not drop his Judaism. He did not swap it out for anything else. Verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Again, he's, he didn't go and verify it with the apostles down in Jerusalem, probably because he knew, well, they're, they're, gonna, they're not going to welcome me in. They're not going to answer my questions. So he maybe he had no choice but to just be alone in this. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit uh, Cephas, um, uh, Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Like it's it's interesting here how he says, "Believe me, like I'm not lying. This is true." Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the congregations of Judea that are in Messiah. They only were hearing it said, "He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me." Again, so. What's important in understanding Paul is that the message of the gospel that Paul proclaimed was not exactly the same 
as the gospel that the rest of the apostolic community proclaims. Um, in three places in Scripture, here's one in, in Galatians, where he calls it my gospel, um, my good news. He calls it that in three other places, my, my gospel, my good news. Um, this is, and this is, I think, important that, that Paul be the instrument who does this for the Gentiles. Uh, it, it couldn't have been anyone else, I, I don't think. It couldn't have been any of the other apostles because, again, their understanding was, okay, these Gentiles, yeah, they can, they can have this too, but once they come to faith, once they do some things, they'll become Jewish and, and, and in that way become heirs to the kingdom. But that was not what um, the Lord had in mind. And it's not what he told Saul. So, so, any thoughts? Any disputes? Do you do you agree or disagree with anything I have just said? It strikes me that the um, even though he's an outsider, in some ways he also represents the real religious Jewish people. And one, because of, um, one thing that, to, to notice about that is that when they get the vision, they turn. You know, they mm. don't fight it. Mm-hmm. And I heard someone recently mm. saying, when, you know, the Jewish people, once they get it, they're going to turn quickly. Mm. And... and um, mm. And as a people, they are an outsider people. Mm-hmm. They are, as a whole people group, they are constantly outside, you know, always being pushed from one place to another. And, and so I think in some ways Paul is representative of, of the Jewish people in general, even though he's an outsider within his own group. Paul right. is, you know, right, right. He's, he's like the epitome of a Jewish yeah. person in the world somehow. Right, right. And, but when he when he got that vision, he turned. But it required a vision, and right. so I've heard that said about the Jewish people before uh, that they. It's really you can't. It's very hard to reason. <laughs> I mean, they've had so much history now, between say Christians and Jews, and you just the doors are closed. It's going to take visions. Mm. It's going to take a supernatural. Boom! But once they get it, they're quick to say, "Oh, now I see." <laughs> Yeah, and even Paul describes himself as what a a uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like he like he is the if 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 the, if Jewish identity is a, is a sphere, he is like at the core. He is like so very Jewish and representative of Jewish thought, uh, biblical understanding, traditions. He is like the the best of the best, and he's an outsider. And if you didn't hear this online, what David was saying was was so true is that for for people a people like that who are so sold out to just doing God's will and doing it right, all it takes is a vision, and they turn and they're going in the right direction, right? Which is what what happened with Paul. And that it's believed that that's that's how the Jewish people will respond that when the, when they see, okay. It will be. It will be a whole. Uh, they'll they'll wholly be sold out to this idea now. Like, oh, okay, yeah. No 
Those who are those who are so close to God's word, so close to it, it will it will just be a slight tweak, um, and it, and it will be a fervent faith, and that's what we have. That's what we have to anticipate with the Jewish people. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Yeah, no lukewarmness. There's no like. I mean, but you have to be. You got to be so familiar with His Word, like that's that's so key, and it's also so key in following His will, right? So, Paul was not all about teaching and preaching to the Gentiles. What was he about? He was all about doing God's will, right? Yeshua was not all about the cross. Did you know that? Yeshua was all about doing God's will. Right? Both of these men, all of these men in this, are were so familiar, so acquainted, so close to God's word, his revelation to him, that made it possible for a change like this, the identity of Messiah right? Which is just a, it really is just a little tweak, like, oh, we know the Messiah. Now I know who it is. It is a slight addition of information. It's just a little, little data point plucked in to this whole understanding and paradigm of reality. When you're so in it, when you're immersed in it, when it becomes you, it doesn't rock your world when, something, when information like that comes in, right? And that's, that's what we see. So he's on the road. He's on the road to kill Jews. Yeshua followers. Not Jews, but Yeshua followers. Imprison them. And he gets updated information from someone who he knows is the Lord. And that's the identity of the Messiah. Okay. All right. I will do this now. Ananias. Little information tweak. He's the one who's trying to come and get us. He's going to kill us, right? He's my instrument. Okay doesn't rock his world. It doesn't upset anything else about what he understands about God, his word and reality and salvation and any of it, right? The picture God gives is of blindness with scales mm. that suddenly drop from your eyes. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a... So we, we just went on this man camp trip uh, with some of the some of the dads, and a, a, a someday dad was there too. <laughs> and part of this trip is, is called orientation, but it begins with disorientation. And the military uses this too when they want to create their army. They will disorient you. They'll strip your identity. They'll buzz your haircut. You don't have a name anymore. You all wear the same clothes. You're all the same. You have no identity. But then they will orient you with your new identity within the community. God is doing a bit of orientation here for Saul. He is disorienting him by by taking away his sight and placing him into the enemy camp. Uh, I'm sure Saul didn't think, oh, I have nothing to fear from them. Like, of course he had something to fear from them, right? I mean, he he knew that he was going after them, and they would probably, in some way, if they were smart and responsible, they would defend themselves. So he was blind and going into the enemy territory. He was disoriented, big time, so that he could be oriented, not a reorientation, a new orientation. 
into what what the paradigm is now, using everything he already knew, everything he had already believed and studied, but just with this little bit of information that changed everything. And that blindness was necessary for that too. Yeah. Anything else? But he's also like the worst. And so God is, well, he calls himself the chief of sinners, right? Mm. Yep. It's almost like, and Yeshua, when, if we're thinking about Paul as being an example of kind of the legalistic authorities of his time, and he, um, so, you know, it, it, it's, they're actually just a one step away from turning and, and becoming these, this great light. Um, but Yeshua has very harsh words for that kind of, and th- that's the kind of person that he really said, you serpents, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he's like, he really shows them to be in a very bad spot, but if we're looking at Paul as a picture of them, it's like just that little tweak, like you're saying, mm-hmm. that makes them this great light. Yeah. 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 Paul, Paul was the chief of sinners, so he was, he was, a, a, he exemplified the best of observant, faithful Jewish people, and the worst. And so we're we're all we're all ever only, you know, a decision away from being one or the other. And it's a slight. It's a it's a it's just one small it's one small point, right? That could lead us down one path or the other. And for him, he was because he because he was capable of being the worst. God knew he could be the best. Um, and so he just just gave him an off-ramp. It's like, okay, no, you're going this way. Like, oh, like okay. personality, go get him personality. You know, his personality. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was never going to be lukewarm. <laughs> he was always going to be hot. <laughs> so, okay. Um, all right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for, thank you for Saul. Thank you for that man. Thank you for the, 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 the way in which you orchestrated his life for the blessing of, of his parents and grandparents uh, and how they instilled certain values in him that were important, that they would uproot their life in Tarsus and move to Jerusalem where he could benefit from good education. We thank you for his teachers in the school there, when he was there. We thank you for the community around him, even though some of it was bad, even though some of it led to just some some wrong thinking and dangerous thinking. I still thank you for him and how he was raised to become your instrument, your instrument of light to the nations. I pray, Father, that I, I thank you for our parents, our upbringings, all the things that led us to you in our roundabout ways, uh, in our unexpected ways, in ways that defy logic and are completely irrational. We thank you for how you led us here uh, to a, a deeper understanding of you. I thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the Hebrew scriptures, the Greek scriptures, 
uh, for all of this that helps us come to a better understanding of you. And thus, we can adjust our thinking. We can make these tweaks uh, that make us more of your instrument in the world. And I pray that you would do that. Bless us by allowing us to die to ourselves and be only for you and your will. I thank you. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.